Friends, good morning. Merry Christmas to each one of you. Great to have you with us here on this Christmas Lord's Day morning. I'd like to invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 2. Chapter 2, you see the passage on the slide behind me. While you're finding your way to Luke 2, I brought a Christmas present today for each and every one of you. So uh, if you're interested, I have a Bible reading plan for the new year. Uh, Matthew Murray McShane's Bible reading plan. There are some down here and there are some in the fellowship hall. Feel free to take uh, one of those. I know several of you use that on a yearly basis and now you have a checklist. Luke chapter 2, specifically verse 11. Uh, Before I read a passage, let me uh, remark on what's coming up next Lord's Day. Of course, it'll be New Year's Day next Sunday. Still no Sunday school or discipleship class at 9 a.m. Our guest speaker next Sunday will be Chris Hammock. Chris is a good friend. He's an elder serving up at Grace Community Church in Dawsonville. So uh, Chris will be speaking. I have this next week off. And uh, we'll be looking forward to downtime, and I know you appreciate Chris. He has preached at New Covenant before. The following week, after our men's conference, Pastor Brian will be our speaker that morning. Look forward to hearing what Brian has to tell us. Now, let's look at our passage. And rather just than just reading Luke 2.11 all by itself, let's uh, get the context and read the verses that lead up to Luke 2.11. So I'm going to begin at the very Uh, start of chapter 2 and read through our verse uh, for today. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is God's holy and inerrant and authoritative word. May he bless what we've just read. Let's ask for his help as we look into this passage today. Give us... Seeing eyes, Lord, a lot of us have heard this passage, oh, we could say a million times. Uh, We've heard it on TV, even read by a cartoon. We've heard it all over the place. And so let us be cautious that we not take these verses for granted. Give us a fresh sense of what you're saying here. Uh, Unclog our ears 
uh, take our minds off of the rest of the day and help us to focus on you for the next next moments, Lord. Uh, strengthen me to preach and speak clearly. And Christ Jesus, we commit our time to you and pray in your name. Amen. Just, uh, just to see, just a straw poll this morning, how many of you have already opened your Christmas presents here today? Wow, what restraint. Amazing. Well, I've experienced essentially two different kinds of uh, uh, ways to open a Christmas present on Christmas morning. Uh, on the one hand, there are those among us who open Christmas presents like the Tasmanian Devil, uh, that Warner Brothers cartoon shredding everything in its path. And most people that I've encountered fall into some form of, of that category, and you probably have uh, one or two of those in your own home. On the other hand, there are those who open Christmas presents like an archaeologist. And uh, you've seen an archaeologist work. I know you have on TV how they carefully brush away the dirt from a piece of broken pottery to avoid further damage uh, uh, and, and to preserve it uh, for a museum. Uh, some people open their presents like this, carefully undoing first the beautiful ribbon that adorns the top and then they slice open the tape with a pocket knife and taking pains not to tear the wrapping paper because you've heard them you've heard them say this this is lovely paper feel how thick it is it would be a shame for this just to go to waste as if they would use it again and while they do <clears throat> excuse me while they do this everyone else in the room ages visibly <laughs> while they open their gift if there was ever a gift that deserved that kind of treatment, it's the one we're looking at right here in Luke 2.11. Uh, the gift the angel of the Lord announces to the shepherd, the precious gift of God's son, Jesus Christ. Uh, writing uh, to the city of Corinth, the apostle Paul said these words, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Some versions say his indescribable gift, and he's referring, of course, to the gift of God's Son, Christ. If there was ever a gift that deserved that kind of handling and treatment, if there was ever a present that deserved to be uh, unwrapped in a careful and thoughtful way, it is this gift that the angels announce to the shepherds here in verse 11. God's inexpressible gift, his gracious gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And as we carefully unwrap this gift today, there are three parts we'll find. We'll discover three parts to this gift. And the first part that you'll notice in verse 11 in your, uh, in your copy of God's word is a savior. Uh, obviously, a savior is is one part of this gift. Uh, his sinful his gift to sinful humanity is a savior. Look at verse eleven again. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. The word savior is uh, soter, and it means rescuer, deliverer, one who rescues from danger or violence. Uh, 
I wonder how you might imagine the shepherds would have responded to that announcement of a savior. Uh, of course, they would need time to recover from the shock of an angel appearing in the middle of the night out of nowhere. Uh, but once they regained their senses, what were their thoughts uh, of this announcement that uh, a Savior had been born? What they might have been thinking is, but we already have a Savior. And what do we do with the current one? Because technically speaking, the world already had a Savior at this time. And the current Savior's name was Caesar Augustus, who's mentioned up in verse 1 of Luke 2. Uh, he, his real name was Octavian. Um, he was the first Roman emperor, came to power in 27 years B.C. or B.C.E. He's considered by some to be the, one of the greatest leaders in human history. And Octavian in addition to being the first Caesar, was the first to be given the title Augustus by the Roman Senate. And Augustus was a title that really was reserved for the gods up until this point. It meant holy, revered. Um, and so the Senate conferred on him this title, Augustus, some considered Augustus or Octavian so great that they changed their New Year's Day to fall on his birthday. And many referred to him with this very same word that Luke uses, soter, savior. And in fact, one, ins one ancient inscription even refers to him as the savior of the whole world. It was during his reign that the Roman Empire enjoyed that lengthy time of peace, the Pax Romana. But he, he achieved this peace by uh, crushing his opponents into submission. This was no easy peace. And you couldn't say a word against it without fear of punishment. It, his reign was so relentless that we even see the effect of it here all the way in Bethlehem stretching across the other side of the Mediterranean Sea, he is squeezing tribute out of this small little town. Well, if this is salvation, who needs it? They might have thought. We've got a Savior, and his salvation is bleeding us dry. And thank you, we don't need another one. But look at how he's identified here in verse 11. A Savior who is Christ. Christ, you might remember from our study in, in the book of Mark, Christ is not Jesus' last name, as in Jesus Christ. Christ is a title. And Christ means anointed one or anointed king. And so the angel is announcing to these men that uh, this child born uh, will is God's promised anointed king, the one he has been promising to Israel throughout Old Testament history, uh, the one they had been waiting for uh, for so long, the one who he had described throughout different places 
in the Old Testament scriptures, like, like this one description from Isaiah 42 that we looked at this Advent. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him to the nation. Uh, I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring ju forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Now that's the kind of king you can get behind. That's the kind of savior that they wanted. Sure, give us that kind of savior. That's what they were waiting for, and the angel announces, he's here. This is the Christ. This is that anointed one. He's arrived. Not only that, he says, a Savior who is Christ, the Lord. And the word the isn't really there in the original text. It's a Savior who is Christ, Lord. It should be translated Christ and Lord. So, He's not only the anointed one that God's been promising all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, this word Lord uh, means someone of higher rank, someone in authority, a commander or, or ruler. It's this Greek term that the, that the Greek version of the Old Testament uses for God's covenant name, Yahweh. Now that might not mean anything to you, but what it signifies is that the angel uh, the Savior to be born uh, to them was none other than the great I Am. This Savior was Israel's covenant God who had, who, who had delivered them from slavery in Egypt and, and, and brought them through the Red Sea. This Savior was Yahweh who had acted throughout Israel's history to rescue and deliver her. Now that is heart-stopping news. The great I Am of the Old Testament Scriptures, the Holy One of Israel, has Himself come down to rescue you. That's gives the salvation they could expect a whole different perspective. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about, about uh, this Savior. If he who undertakes to save is none other than the infinite and almighty, then the load of our guilt can be carried upon such shoulders. The stupendous labor of our salvation can be achieved by such a worker and that with ease, for all things are possible with God, and he is able to save to the uttermost those that come to him. <laughs> That's good news. The first part of this gift that we see unwrapped is that we've been given a Savior. We have been given someone who will rescue and deliver, that someone who is the Lord's anointed one, the servant of the Lord, Yahweh himself. 
But as we continue to carefully unwrap this, and maybe you're thinking now of that person in your family who's moved to the other end of the package, still with a pocket knife and slicing yet another piece of tape, oh, so slowly, uh, we open the gift further and we find there's a second part to it. And that is not only does, does this gift include a Savior, it includes a birth. It says, for unto you is born, in verse 11, the Savior that the angel had just announced to the shepherds was born. This rescuer, God's anointed one, the Christ, the deliverer, the, the deliverer who was Yahweh himself, the Lord, had been born on that very day. And so that meant that Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, had entered the human condition and become a man, except without sin. The Almighty who had spoken the world into existence, the mighty God who had delivered Israel from Egypt, and who had parted the Red Sea, who had defeated kings and nations and given them the promised land, had entered the womb of a teenage girl. The infinite had confined himself to the finite, the finite womb of Mary for, for nine months. And on this very day had been born fully God and fully human, except without sin. I want you to hear this pastor describe it. He says, though he was sinless, he had a real human body, mind, and emotions, complete with their inherent human weaknesses. As a real baby in the cradle, he watched his tiny clenched fist in uncomprehended fascination, just like any other baby. He did not fake babyhood. He did not say to himself, you all think I am pre a pre-articulate baby discovering I have a hand. Actually, I am God admiring my brilliant invention. I am your creator and I understand every word you are saying. Not at all. He was not pretending. This was not a, a post-nasal spoof. He was a baby. And not only did Jesus enter our human condition except without sin, he entered it in the most humiliating way imaginable. He stooped in ways that you and I would never dream of stooping. Again, listen to this pastor describe it. He says, in Bethlehem, the accommodations for travelers were primitive. The Eastern Inn was the crudest of arrangements. Typically, it was a series of stalls built on the inside of an enclosure and opening onto a common yard where the animals were kept. All the innkeeper provided was fodder for the animals and a fire to cook on. On that cold day, when the, the expectant parents arrived, nothing at all was available. Not even one of those crude stalls. And despite the urgency, no one would make room for them. So it was probably in the common courtyard where the traveler's animals were tethered that Mary gave birth to Jesus with only Joseph attending her. Joseph probably wept as much as Mary did, seeing her pain. The stinking barnyard, their poverty, people's indifference, the humiliation and the sense of utter helplessness, feeling 
Shame at her not being able to at not being able to provide for young Mary on the night of her travail all that would make a man either curse or cry. If we imagine that Jesus was born in a freshly swept county fair stable, we miss the whole point. It was wretched, scandalous. There was sweat and pain and blood and cries as Mary reached up to the heavens for help. The earth was cold and hard. The smell of birth mixed with the stench of manure and acrid straw made a contemptible bouquet. Trembling carpenter's hands, clumsy with fear, grasped God's son, slippery with blood. The baby's limbs waving helplessly as if falling through space, his face grimacing as he grasped in the cold and his cry pierced the night. It was clearly a leap down. Nothing could be lower. What this all means, practically speaking, is that our Savior can fully identify with our condition except without sin. The author of Hebrews wrote it like this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The term sympathize, which is underlined on the second line there, uh, means to be affected with the same feeling as someone else. It's similar uh, to what they call sympathetic resonance um, uh, in music. If you put two pianos in the same room and tuned them correctly, uh, you could play a note on one piano. This is not an electric piano, of course. This is a full acoustic piano. Uh, you put them in the same room and tune them correctly, you could hit a note on one piano and the same note uh, without being struck will gently respond on the other piano. It's called sympathetic resonance. And when suffering strikes a note in our hearts, the same note resonates in the heart of Christ because he also became human except without sin. You know, we often tell people, I know how you feel when what we're really saying is I can come pretty close, but I don't really know exactly how you feel. Christ doesn't have to guess how you feel, how I feel. He doesn't have to approximate because he knows how we feel. Our suffering strikes the same chord in his heart. The same note resonates with him. And so, for example, if you face this Christmas separated uh, from someone you love, either by distance or death, Christ knows exactly how you feel. Because he was separated from someone by distance. His Father, his Heavenly Father, who he had been in perfect communion with, up until this moment in history, who enjoyed each other's company, who, who, who were in fellowship together 
in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. Literally, the Word was before the face of God. There was nothing breaking their communion until He came to earth and they're separated. And so you that are separated from someone this morning by distance, know that Christ knows exactly how that feels. And if you're separated from someone today by death, that also strikes a chord in Christ's heart. Recall that at Lazarus' tomb, it says Jesus wept. He was a dear friend. And Jesus was grieved at the horrible effect of sin and, and death that sin causes. Wow. So as we come to this gift and as if we as as we peel back the paper, we not only find a savior, we find a savior, we also find a birth. This savior was born into our condition. And this savior knows what we feel because he was a man except for sin. Well, we want to go on and and finally get this paper off and cut that last piece of tape clinging to the box inside and discover this gift further. And when we do, we find the third part. Not only does this gift consist of a Savior and a birth, it consists of a personal Savior. And here's what I mean. Look at verse 11, and yet again, it says, for Unto you is born a Savior. Or a Savior has been born for you. This personal pronoun, if you're interested, it's in the dative case, dative of advantage, if you care. That makes the angel's announcement intensely personal for these shepherds because he's telling them a Savior was born for them. There's, there's, maybe there was the young shepherd and maybe his name was Nathaniel and his biggest dream was to get out of Bethlehem and get to Jerusalem where he could finally make a living, uh, enter a trade and make some real money rather than hanging out with old Tobias here in the field at night Tobias, perhaps his name was Tobias. We don't know. He was another shepherd, older man. He's seen, he's seen it all. He's had uh, lions and wolves attack the flock. He's beaten them all off. He's trying to teach Nathaniel a thing or two about what it means. And there's nothing new to Tobias. He's just biding his time until he can finally quit going out on these cold nights. And to both of them, the angel says, a, sh- a Savior has been born for you. You might be familiar with a shepherd's standing in the culture of that day. They, they weren't really highly thought of. Uh, on the social scale of that time, shepherds came in just one notch above a leper. Someone with a, uh, uh, a fatal disease. Someone who was... Uh, an outcast. These, these shepherds were one notch above a leper. The religious leaders didn't think much of them because shepherds, after all, they, 
They made their home out in the open. They were, they were camping all the time, so to speak. And because they lived out in the open, they weren't able to follow the strict rules that the Pharisees had laid out for society. And in general, if there was anyone in society voted least likely to succeed at anything, it would have been them voted for that. They're, they're not well thought of. Um, yet it's, it's to them that God chose to reveal the birth of his son. It wasn't to, the, to the, the big shots in Jerusalem. It wasn't anybody on Herod's staff, anyone in a government position, anyone who uh, you, you would think you'd send it to the, to the town crier, that the town crier could go and announce it, but it's been sent to shepherds. And it says, a Savior has been born for you. Listen to what God's word has to say in 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And yet these shepherds, maybe one's named Nathaniel, maybe another's old Tobias, <coughs> excuse me, they could each say, a Savior has been born for me. Let me read you Charles Spurgeon yet again. It says, he's made with me an everlasting covenant. Here is the sweetness of it to each believer. It is nothing for me that he made peace for the world. <coughs> Excuse me. I want to know whether he has made peace for me. If God, the Holy Spirit, gives me assurance of this, then his salvation is mine, his heart is mine, he himself is mine, he is my God. The question remains, of course, is he yours? Is he your shepherd? Have you made him yours? Have you made him yours by turning your back on sin? I don't mean just having a, a, a religious spasm at some meeting. I mean really turning your back on sin and walking away from it. To trust in his atoning death that he made on the cross. Have you surrendered your life to him and... and, and Put faith in him as, as your Savior and Lord. You see, that's what this is all about, is that Christ came as a Savior. He was born. And he came as a personal Savior. He, he didn't just lay down his life for, for uh, the redeemed. 
He laid down his life for individual people. Are you one of those? I'd love to help you find out this morning if you're not sure. But that's what we see as we finally get all the wrapping paper cleared away. We see that this gift includes first a Savior. Someone to rescue and deliver us from our, our condition. Uh, it, it contains a birth. He entered our human condition except without sin. And it also contains a personal Savior. For you he was born. Well, I think if there's ever a gift that deserved to be opened like an archaeologist would, it's this gift. Uh, it deserves to be unwrapped in a careful and thoughtful way. This gift, the shepherds announced to the shepherds, God's inexpressible gift, the gracious gift of his son Jesus. And we've seen the three parts uh, that are contained in this gift. Just a word of application, a word of putting this into action. Maybe one application would be for us to surrender to him. If you're here this morning and, and this is all new to you, uh, you've never heard that Jesus Christ came to die for, he actually came to die for sinners like you and me and pay for our sins on the cross and that you're called to trust in that payment. Friend, maybe you need to surrender your life to Christ on this Christmas morning. A lot of you have done that probably, and, and the call to us is a call to worship him for entering our condition. And, and it's a call to adoration. There really is great reason to fall at the manger and worship and adoration. And maybe another application, thirdly, would be to celebrate the freedom from sin that he brings He's loosed you from slavery to sin. I'm sorry, you were a slave to sin. That's what the Word of God says. We've, we were enslaved to it until we trusted in Christ as our Savior and Lord. He set us free from it. So surrender to Him, uh, adore Him, celebrate Him on this Christmas morning. Let me pray for us as we conclude. Jesus, I thank You for... Uh, your voluntary surrender, uh, how you came and entered our human condition in the lowest way possible, humbled yourself all the way. Jesus, thank you for uh, becoming our substitute on the cross. Thank you for making the payment that we could have never afforded to make. Thank you, Savior, that through faith in your death, we can find forgiveness in eternal life. Oh, Jesus, let us, let us surrender to you today if we've not done so. Let us adore you if we have to worship you this Christmas morning because you came and to celebrate the gift of life that we have through faith in you. Jesus, do this in us through your good spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.